Hi, welcome to episode seven of Global Exchanges, a podcast about foreign exchange markets and related issues. I'm Greg Anderson. In this week's episode, my co-host Stephen Gallo and I will be talking about the surprising rally in euro dollar through 120 and associated moves in other pairs. The title for this episode is You're Up, But Why? Hi, I'm Stephen Gallo, a London-based FX strategist. Welcome to Global Exchanges, presented by BMO Capital Markets. Hi, I'm Greg Anderson, a New York-based FX strategist. I'm Stephen's co-host. In each weekly podcast like today's, we discuss our perspectives on the global economy and the foreign exchange market. We also bring in guests from the FX industry and from related financial markets like commodities. We strive to make this show as interactive as possible, so don't hesitate to reach out by going to bmocm.com slash global exchanges. Thanks for joining us. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates or subsidiaries. So, Stephen, here we are on April 20th, and I'm staring at my screen, and it says Eurodollar is trading at, uh, call it 120.50. And I've got to admit that when we were at 117 and falling just three weeks ago, I didn't see this move coming. Did you see it coming? And do you think the market saw it coming? And basically, I guess I, I just want to ask, why? No, Greg, you're absolutely right to call me out for that. My one-month view for euro dollar was set at a lower rate than where the pair is currently now, 120 in change, as, as you said in, in your segment. I think the overall market, though, is, is probably a bit surprised, too. In other words, I'm not the only one that made the mistake here. Um, if, you, if you go back through the leveraged uh, the, the positioning data of leveraged funds and look at where we were um, for the week ending in April 6th, leveraged funds increased their net short position in euro dollar uh, for that week, which means they were probably selling rallies in the pair when it was between 117.50 and 118.50, give or take. Um, so, so I think it's caught a number of, of, of FX investors off guard. Um, to finish up uh, on your, your comments and your questions, Greg, I don't think there, there is one specific reason for this move. Um, as there's often the case in, F, in FX, it, a confluence of factors is generally responsible um, for a move like this. But I think w- w- what we should also do is put the, the move into context. If you look at euro dollar on a quarter to date basis, so so far in Q2, it's about the middle of the G10 pack. It's not the best performing currency and it's not the worst performing currency. But m- maybe more importantly, when you look on a week over week basis, euro is towards, towards the bottom of the pack. Uh, currencies like Kiwi, Noki, and Sterling have significantly outperformed the euro on a week-over-week basis. I assume the gap between where the euro did perform and where, there, where those other currencies performed at the top of the back is, is because of the euro's funding attributes. So in that context, really, Greg, uh, the picture we have here, it's that the whole, it's the whole pack of G10 currencies has basically risen versus the US dollar quarter to date. So what you're really saying is that this isn't a euro move, it's a US dollar move? So far, yes, Greg, I think that's right. I think this is a dollar move. There are some medium-term 
possibly Europositive risks we have to consider, um, which we might be talking about later on this podcast. But I, but I think the main thing to point out is that this has been a dollar move. And it seems to me like the, um, the catalyst was the, the fact that longer term US Treasury yields have settled down. They seem to be tightening up in a, in a range. What do you think about that, Greg? Stephen, I, I think you've nailed it by saying that the settling of US yields has helped turn the tide in the US dollar. I think that's absolutely right. Although there is no mechanical link between bond yields um, and especially long-term tenor uh, bond yields uh, and exchange rates, spiking yields gave the FX market a narrative that justified flipping from short dollars at the start of the year to a long dollar position as the yield spike extended in February and March. Now, in April, it certainly appears that long-term yields have put in at least a temporary high and are settling in a range. With that, I think the US dollar's negative flow picture has resurfaced as uh, an important counter narrative. And that is dragging the dollar lower and should continue to do so unless the yield spike reemerges. The only thing is, I can't fully explain why the yield spike ended because the US's economic data has just gotten better and better. What about Europe's data over the past few weeks, Stephen? Has it gotten better? No, not in a significant way that we could make the conclusion that the tides have turned from a macro perspective in Europe. But I think it is worth noting that investor expectations for late Q2, early Q3 uh, in Europe have firmed up a bit in terms of the economic rebound coming. But, you know, Greg, with so many legacy issues in the Eurozone uh, and, and so many factors restraining growth, I don't think that alone has been responsible for the rally in Eurodollar. The other thing worth pointing out is that this rally in Eurodollar has coincided with a reduction in market expectations for Fed rate hikes in 2023. So some of those hikes have been pulled out of the Eurodollar curve. And that has definitely been a function of the Fed's dovish language. So again, I think there is a lot coming from the dollar side of the equation here. Maybe the euro's liquidity profile effectively means the currency strengthens by default, but I, I think this has largely been a dollar move. The other important factor, which I'll just mention, which neither one of us have mentioned yet, uh, that separates April from March is that the PBOC has allowed dollar RMB to drift lower as dollar longs have covered as long-term U.S. yields have backed off. And that allows the dollar weakness to, in a sense, feed off itself and spread to other currencies. So that's a factor that's important here, too. I'm glad you brought up the world's biggest reserve manager and the reserve manager that EM central banks tend to mimic. As a group, I don't think EM central banks were comfortable with the pace of U.S. dollar depreciation in the second half of 2020. Based on January and February data, uh, EM central banks were buying dollars in January and February to try and boost the greenback, which by March didn't appear to be necessary anymore. I'm wondering out loud here because we don't have everyone's uh, reserves data for March, let alone April, but I'm thinking that probably EM central banks have decided to uh, basically go neutral for Q2 and neither buy nor sell uh, US dollars. And again, that leaves bare the U.S.'s negative flow picture, particularly vis-a-vis -vis Asia. So just to migrate back over to the euro and the flows picture there, the one thing that stands out, in my opinion, is that net portfolio investment outflows were around 730 billion euros in the sixth month through February, quite a large number. 
so the Eurozone probably fully recycled its current account surplus and then some over that period. Important to point out that we, we know that these flows tend to be mostly currency hedged, but what we probably can say with a reasonable amount of certainty is that euro core flows overall on the on, on the financial account side weren't euro positive uh, for most of Q1. I suppose it's possible the flows became more euro supportive in late March or April, uh, and with the negative core flows picture for the U.S. dollar caused euro dollar to rally. But we'll we'll have to wait for the data to confirm this. It sounds like you aren't convinced that this Eurodollar rally is anything other than a short squeeze. So if that's the case in Eurodollar, I've got to ask you, what's your view on the Eurocad rally? Looking at the Euro side of the exchange rate, do you see any fundamental reason for the rally from sub 148 just a couple of weeks ago to nearly 152 today? You know what, Greg, you may find this a little bit surprising, but I actually think the move in Eurocad is indirectly related to the fact that U.S. long-term yields, dollar long-term yields, uh, have stabilized. They've steadied here. And if anything, they're, they're moving a bit lower. And what that has effectively done is meant there's been less follow-through on the downside in Eurodollar. So as short positions uh, in that axis have um, been covered or squared up, it's it's boosted the uh, euro uh, across the board. And, and some of these euro-funded carry trades have seen pretty significant short squeezes. We, we seem to be in the middle of one right now in, in the pair you mentioned in Eurocad. What about, what about your take? What about the Canada side uh, of the equation here, the CAD side of the equation? Is it any more interesting? Coming at it from the CAD side of the cross, my take on the uh, Eurocad bounce is that it is purely a short squeeze. My number one fundamental for the pair is the price of oil, with Canada being a net exporter and Europe being a net importer. There has been no oil price dip corresponding with this Eurocad rally. In fact, oil prices have firmed a bit. With that, although I know that uh, this short squeeze has the potential to extend a bit further, I still think that this is an attractive juncture to re-enter Eurocad shorts, especially ahead of this week's BOC and ECB meetings, which I think may present a pretty stark contrast. Right. So Bank of Canada tomorrow, Greg, what are your expectations? Well, Stephen, it's a quarterly NPR update meeting. So we get the whole deal in terms of an interest rate announcement, forecast updates, and the press conference. The BOC had extremely conservative economic forecasts in their January NPR, So those are going to have to go up, and the market knows it. The BOC isn't going to do anything to its base rate, and the market knows that. The crux of potential drama for this meeting surrounds the BOC's bond purchase program. Our house view is that the BOC will taper its pace of bond purchases from uh, $4 billion CAD per week to $3 billion. That view is more or less in line with consensus, although we would admit there is certainly a chance that the BOC doesn't taper tomorrow and instead delays by one or two meetings. But they've got to do it eventually due to technical issues in the bond market. So either the BOC tapers or it preps the market for a future taper. In the event of a taper, uh, I think CAD should rally to catch up to its oil fundamental. That means that dollar CAD should move back down below 125 the figure 
probably somewhere between 124.50 and 125. Yes, if there is no taper, we could get a pop-up above 126.50, but I don't think it would stay there for very long. IMM data didn't show leveraged money as being short dollar cat, and if by chance such a position had been built up over the past few days, today's dollar cat rally above 126 presumably wiped said positions out. From my perspective, the market enters this event pretty square. So where we think there will be a taper, I think dollar cat is most likely to drop hard tomorrow. That's the BOC in a nutshell. What are your thoughts on Thursday's ECB meeting? Well, in order to dive into that issue, Greg, I've got to set the backdrop by noting that a lot of how the ECB strategizes its moves over the next six to 12 months will, I think, be heavily shaped by fiscal policy. Uh, and the degree to which the ECB policy stance marries up with the fiscal picture. So the first point to make in this regard is that the ratification process for the EU's recovery fund has stalled. Um, The disbursements from that fund are not going to add a huge amount to GDP growth this year anyway, but the fund will have an impact on debt issuance within the EU, and that is important to the ECB. The second point to make is that bond markets in Europe seem to be starting to wake up to the fiscal risks surrounding the German elections in September. Nothing huge going on here yet, but but investors are starting to think about it. I think the impact of these risks on the euro will be better covered in a separate podcast, but my point is that because the situation is in flux, I don't think the ECB will want to pre-commit to either a slower or a faster pace of asset purchases at this stage of the game. Maybe there's a risk that they could hint at a future reduction in the pace of asset purchases, but I think the central bank will continue to frame that in the context of all the flexibility it has with its various programs rather than a pre-commitment. So what does all of this mean for euro dollar? Well, I don't think this one, this ECB rate decision is going to be a range breaker, Greg. And by range, I'm kind of referring to 119 to 122, give or take. I don't think that's going to happen this week. But I think the more important point to make, and this is where I think it's necessary to feed in other asset classes into the the FX picture, the main point I would make is that ECB dovishness is not as big of a deal anymore for downside in euro dollar because long-term U.S. yields have stabilized. Great insight, Stephen. I think that's a good note for us to end on. Thank you, listeners, for sticking with us to the bitter end. We'll be back again next Tuesday, April 27th, for our next episode. Thanks for listening to Global Exchanges. Listen to past episodes and find transcripts at bmocm.com slash global exchanges. We'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. You can send us an email or reach out to us on Bloomberg. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider. This show and resources are supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show is produced and edited by Puddle Creative. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. 
Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.